Hi everyone, welcome back. You're listening to another episode of 123 All Ears on Me. My name is Kaylina Mills and I'll be your host. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about the salary supplement program for child care teachers in Maine. I will be joined by Diane Nicholson and Crystal Arbor from the Office of Child and Family Services so that they can give some information and answer some questions about the new rules and changes that have recently come about with the Salary Supplement Program. But before we dive into that topic, I have some exciting announcements to share from us at Maine AEYC. The big announcement is that it's now 2024, which is Maine AEYC's 20th anniversary year. While our official birthday is January 30th, we are very excited to celebrate our 20th anniversary throughout the entire year. We are planning all kinds of special events and other projects to celebrate and honor this incredible milestone. Save the dates are already out for all four of our regional events to celebrate the 20th anniversary. We would love to see you at one of these events or maybe even all of them. Registration for our first 20th anniversary celebration is actually already open. So please join us on March 10th from 6 to 8 p.m. at St. Joseph's College in Standish, Maine for a night of music, dancing, and networking in our community. This event is free to attend and everyone who comes will get a one-hour elective training certificate. It will be a joyful, exciting, fun event and we hope to see so many of you there. If you want to register for this event, or if you are a program director and want to register some of your staff for this event, you can learn more about it and register at maineaeyc.org slash 20th dash anniversary. That's maineaeyc.org slash 20th dash anniversary. And on that page, you can learn more about the other events that are going to be happening this year and mark your calendars for them now. We will have a statewide celebration of our 20th anniversary on Friday, May 3rd in the evening. The exact time and location are still to be determined, but stay tuned for more information on that. It will take place during the same weekend as the rescheduled Connecting ECE statewide conference. So if you are coming to that, it is a great opportunity to also celebrate our 20th anniversary with us. But even if you don't have tickets to the conference, you can still come to the 20th anniversary celebration because it will be ticketed separately. Then in the summer, we are going to have a mid-coast celebration of our 20th anniversary at the Coastal Maine Botanical Gardens. That will be on July 14th. Educators, as well as their families, are invited to come join us for a fun day of play and exploration in nature at the Coastal Maine Botanical Gardens. And then on Friday, October 25th in the evening, we will be up in the Bangor area to celebrate our 20th anniversary with a special dinner to honor the history of Maine AEYC, the people that have made it what it is, and all of the great educators in our state. So we hope to see you at these events this year to celebrate our 20th anniversary with us. But that's not all. In addition to all of the great events that we're going to throw this year to celebrate our 20th anniversary, we are still doing our regular work that we have done year in and year out for the past 20 years. Policy and advocacy work is a key component of what we do at Maine AEYC, and educators across the state help us in that work every day. Every year we have an Early Childhood Education Day at the State House in Augusta to talk with legislators and support early childhood policies that will improve the field. 
This year, Early Childhood Education Day at the State House is going to be on March 21st, and registration for that event is open. If you go to maineyc.org and navigate to our events calendar, you will find all of the information you need to register for the event. So we hope to see you at one of these amazing 20th anniversary celebrations that we have planned and at the State House Day in Augusta this March so that you can help us strengthen our collective voice as early childhood educators in Maine. Are you thinking about going back to school to get your early childhood education degree? Maine AEYC and the Office of Child and Family Services wants to make it happen for you. We are proud to facilitate the Teach Scholarship Program so that early childhood educators throughout the state can go back to school to get their associate or bachelor's degree with most expenses covered. The Teach Program is unique because it's a partnership between you, Maine AEYC, and your employer. Together, we all work to ensure that you can successfully meet your career and educational goals. If you get a TEACH scholarship, Maine AEYC pays for 85% of your tuition costs, your employer pays for 7.5%, and you are only responsible for the remaining 7.5% of your tuition cost. For those seeking their associate degree, that's an average of only $260 per year that you must pay out of pocket. Exactly, Tony. You can get your degree through the TEACH scholarship program for very little money and without having to take out loans. It's such a phenomenal program to support early childhood educators throughout Maine. In addition to funding your tuition, TEACH recipients are paid for two hours a week of release time so that they can study without losing pay from work or time from their families. The scholarship provides a stipend each term and the scholarship pays for 85% of your book costs. The scholarship provides so much to its recipients. And in addition to all of those benefits, Teach Scholarship recipients get one-on-one -on -one counseling and support from a Maine AEYC staff member to ensure that they can successfully complete their program. It's so simple to apply for a Teach Scholarship. Go to maineayc.org application and download the application to your computer. After that, it should only take about 30 minutes to fill out the form and apply. Again, that's maineauic.org slash application, M-A-I-N-E-A-E-Y-C dot org slash application. Apply for a Teach Scholarship today and get back into the classroom to get your degree. Welcome. I'm very excited to have you both today and, and to have um, the Office of Child and Family Services here to like answer questions directly. So... I would love it if you could just introduce yourself to folks, um, tell them who you are and what you do and anything else you want to share before we jump into our chat today. Um, Crystal, do you want to start? Sure. Thank you so much. Um, thank you for having us here. Um, my name is Crystal Arbor. I'm the Child Care Services Program Manager here at the Office of Child and Family Services. Um, I've been in this role uh, six years this month. Um, I oversee the Child uh, Care Development Block Grant. I'm the CCDF Administrator. Um, and in this role, I oversee or am in connection with pretty much all things early care and education related, which includes um, the Child Care um, Affordability Program, uh, the Quality Rating Improvement System, the Salary Supplement Program, the Child Care Infrastructure Grants, um, as well as uh, the professional development statewide. Thank you for having us. My name is Diane Nicholson, and I'm the Early Childhood Educator Workforce Development Program Manager here at OCFS. Um, pr 
prior to coming to the department about two and a half years ago. I was a child care provider for 28 years. I was a family child care provider for four years and then had my own facility for 24 years. Um, and I'm just happy to be here and answer questions about the program. Amazing. Thank you so much. I didn't realize that you were a child care provider before you started. So that's exciting to learn. <laughs> As yeah. was Crystal. And I will say prior to that, um, for over 16 years, I was a family child care provider myself. Nice. We love to have people from the field in the state offices. <laughs> Makes a huge difference. So we're going to talk about the salary supplement program today. Um, but before we jump into anything too technical or specific, um, I would love it if you guys could explain what the salary supplement program is for anyone who might not know. Sure. I'll, I'll take the lead on this one. Uh, Diana and I will kind of be bouncing off each other as this is, uh, you know, an ever-changing program currently. Um, some of the things are that are more really in the weeds and technical, Diane uh, really understands and facilitates. And then, you know, the more general um, development of the program, certainly I can handle. Uh, and so the um, Early Childhood Educator Workforce Salary Supplement um, originally started um, as a $200 a month stipend to um, all uh, childcare direct staff during uh, the uh, COVID relief spending with the ARPA stabilization grants. Jargon alert! If you're not familiar with the term ARPA, it is a grant that was provided by the federal government and ARPA stands for American Rescue Plan Act. So funding that came from the American Rescue Plan Act is called ARPA funding. Uh, COVID relief spending with the ARPA stabilization grant. Um, and it um, really was a success at stabilizing uh, the market, not only for the program itself, but for retaining staff within those programs to keep it going as we um, work through uh, post-pandemic um, life in that field. Um, and then um, in um, early 2022 legislation passed to uh, make the program permanent and also required us to go through a rulemaking process to uh, develop from a $200 stipend a month to a tier system, which is a three-tier uh, program, um, and also dedicated $15 million of state general funds to the program, which would replace the um, child care development block grant funds that were being utilized uh, to keep the program going. Awesome. So it's basically, it came out of COVID, it sounds like. It came out of COVID relief funds that were dedicated to child care. Can you speak to like why the governor or the legislators who decided to spend that ARPA funds on child care um, made that decision? Like why is it important to put supplemental in money towards uh, child care? Um, well, I can't speak for all of them, but what was passed and what certainly I think is the spirit of the program is really looking at um, taking um, dedication to the field, professional development, trying to not only increase access, but we're trying to maintain and increase quality access for all um, children in Maine. And so with that, um, the Main Roads to Quality uh, Registry and Career Lattice, that is for direct care uh, services for early care educators, 
um, has um, that eight level um, lattice. And um, really this, uh, the statute uh, really relates to that in the sense that the tiered system goes by um, individuals and where they are at individually on the career lattice. Um, and so um, that's really how the rules were formalized um, and um, went from there. So that um, the program needs to be tier one to tier two needed to be 50 cents. 50% more than the first tier, and then tier three needs to be 50% more than the second tier. Um, and so, again, that, that was what went into state statute. And then um, this past legislation for 2023, realizing that the $15 million that were originally dedicated, you know, um, the field um, continues to grow and, and uh, bound back after COVID. Um, that more funds were needed. And so uh, while we were still in the midst of rulemaking, which is a very lengthy process, an another legislation bill passed, which took the $15 million and doubled that funding to $30 million. Um, and so based on that, each year, uh, that budget will go by how many individuals are in the field, but broken down by by that 50% increase for each tier. And so that's how the totals um, are decided each uh, budget year um, of how, how much each individual will receive based on um, where they are at on the, the MRTQ registry level. Jargon alert. We've talked about this acronym before, but it's been a while. So in case you are a new listener or you've forgotten, MRTQ stands for Main Roads to Quality, which is in itself a shortened version of the full name of that organization, which is Main Roads to Quality Professional Development Network. So when you hear us talk about MRTQ, we are talking about that organization and their work. The MRTQ registry level. Gotcha. Yeah, and I would just say too that I think you know I again we can't speak to why the legislators um, did this. I, I think it was a good thing for the field, um, as we all know. You know, childcare providers are the like, I believe they're the second lowest paid profession in our country, and I think they just recognized that need that during COVID, especially, it really brought it to the forefront. And I think that they felt the need to um, support the field so that everybody else could go to work as well. So it's like a workforce. Not just childcare workforce stabilization, but in stabilizing that workforce, we help stabilize the whole workforce. Absolutely. And that's where, you know, the um, CCDF ARPA stabilization funds and that grant program came from. We have a lot of jargon alert. CCDF stands for Child Care Development Funds, which was another block of funding available to child care programs across the country. CCDF ARPA stabilization funds and that grant program came from. We have a lot of data uh, that was that we, you know, accumulating and analyzing throughout um, those grant periods to say, yes, we're seeing not only more programs receive the grants, but more individuals um, receive uh, the individual stipend. And so that says, you know, one thing, the individual workforce really went into stabilizing the entire market as well. So as we said, families um, can go to work. 
All right. So I think I have a good sense of like the history of the program from COVID grant money to becoming statute in the legislature, then to being doubled uh, the funding in the next year's legislature, um, which was a huge win for all of us um, in the field. So my understanding is that because of the 2022 bill where the salary supplement program became uh, statute, the rules had to be shifted. And like you said, the rulemaking process was very long. Um, so I'm wondering um, how the rules have shifted because those have kind of just been released, the new rules. Um, so what are some of the changes that people should know about? Right. The one thing I want um, the public to be aware of is, is that while um, the passing of the bill happened, um, the department themselves did not have access to the funds until after October 25th uh, because of the budget in the way that passed. Um, and so with um, the rulemaking process going on and trying um, to really um, continue to retain and stabilize uh, the field, we made a decision at the department to go through emergency rulemaking. So we had already gone to public comment. Um, that public comment period is still happening, um, but this allowed um, the attorney general's office um, to really go through the entire review process that they normally give, and that has to be done by March 9th. Um, but we were able to, on December 4th, enact emergency rules to immediately put that tiered system in place, um, and those rules are currently in place. And I'll let um, Diane kind of speak about some of the things that are very specific about what changed um, from $200 stipend across the board to all um, to now that tiered system. Right. So um, when the legislation, when it first got passed, we we were told, you know, $200 per direct child care staff, um, staff that gave direct child care services to children would receive $200 until we got the rules in place. And so for you know, just over a year, it was the $200 for everyone. And I think, you know, the biggest changes are is what the rules do is it really refines who is eligible and really gives a much better uh, guidelines for programs to determine who is and isn't eligible. So um, before it was, you know, if in main roads to quality in the registry, it said that you provided direct care as your responsibility. That's all that we needed to, um, to look at. But now we also have to, you know, this is a state funded program. So we have to, I look, I think of it as, you know, if a legislator ever came to me and said, um, you know, Sally Smith is receiving this money for a direct child care provider, and she's listed as other in Main Roads to Quality. What does she do? So we really tried to refine the positions. Um, so, you know, lead teachers, um, substitutes, teacher aides, those sorts of things. Those are all in the rules um, as the eligible positions, um, like administrative positions. That right in itself, it says that they're not providing direct care. Perhaps they are, but that's not what this legislation was intended for. And so we had to refine those positions um, for the, you know, to be which ones were eligible. And then also, I think um, the other change is 
that everyone has to be on the direct care lattice. They can't be on the management coordination lattice. They can't be on the administrative lattice um, at Main Roads. Those are for other non-direct care positions. Um, so those are the really the biggest changes that um, providers need to be aware of is to, to look at the rules and see what those positions and the direct care lattice is and then to make sure that it is reflected in main roads in the registry, because that's how I verify. Um, when, when a program sends in um, their registration, I go to main roads, I look up each staff, and I look at what their position is, their responsibility, and their direct care lattices. And so they have to be reflective of one another in order for me to approve that staff member. And in addition, I think the other biggest change is individuals actually have to be at a minimum of a level one, um, whereas prior those levels were not being checked. We went to a tiered system. Any individual that is at a level zero um, on the registry would not qualify. So what that means is they have been um, at a minimum of 30 days in the field in the registry, which is tracked. They've they are compliant with the health and safety uh, training. They need to have taken that. Um, and they also have to have actually completed the entire registry form um, to be considered um, active in the main roads to quality registry. And so once those three things occur, they'll move up to a level one. Um, and that is when um, the uh, individual responsible for the portal would update that, um, and then um, Diane would confirm that yes, um, in our in our systems, they match. So you can't just, you know, walk in tomorrow to a childcare job and get your $200 or whatever you need. You need to have put in a little bit of time and effort before you can start getting these um, salary supplements. That makes sense mm -hmm. to me. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. It's really about, again, not just stabilizing the field, but providing increased um, quality care across the board. And those are the, you know, the minimum quali qualifications um, that are in alignment, not only with our licensing, um, but CCDF rule, as well as our quality rating rule. So the systems all kind of um, are, it's really a layered approach to how these systems work. And I think, too, it really helps to, well, we're hoping anyway, that it's going to help strengthen the workforce for early childhood, you know, making it um, more of a long-term career path for for workers and to be able to be in this field and, and do the work that they love. And, you know, hopefully they'll be moving up the career lattices and moving up the tiers and with more experience and more education, they will make more money. One can hope. I mean, I'm a level eight in the direct care lattice and I left the field because they couldn't pay as much as a public school or even I'm working for Maine AYC now, like a nonprofit, right? And so, um, but now I know I could make, you know, an extra $7,500 a year if I were in, in childcare, which is not an insignificant amount of money. I mean, that's, that's a big deal. So yeah, um, and I and I would also like to note that through this, as I said, how that layers with other systems. When you look at the MRTQ registry, that's not how the system's ever been used before. The career, career lattice has been used before, 
And so it's also strengthening all of our data when we look at the field and what does it represent. Um, we we saw, um, you know, individuals, you know, finally some had been in the registry for many years, but had never supplied all the true documentation to move up um, on the career ladder, you know, which makes sense why, you know, um, but now is the time um, to be doing that. Um, and um, we did see people overnight change um, from maybe just a level one or level zero go up, uh, you know, to a four, five, six, seven, because they were submitting all of their education and, and documentation in the registry. And um, again, that's another layer to how um, it not only supports the field, but it supports us as a state to understand where the field is at. Incentivizing the the career lattice, you know, makes a lot of sense. Um, and you're right, it does give a lot of good data. You know, if we're if we're going to be talking about increasing quality across the state and the registry says everyone or that the average is a level three, but that doesn't reflect what where the field is really at, then that's not useful data for for anyone to make policy or or start an initiative. Yes, it, it truly is about strengthening all the systems. So we at Maine AOIC have received a lot of questions about the new tiered stipends and the system. And, you know, we're not always the best people to ask because we're not actually the ones implementing the system. Um, but one one question we've heard a lot is um, about who qualifies for the program. So Diane, you were kind of speaking to that a bit. Um, we've definitely heard a lot from, you know, center directors, those people on the management or administrative side who do end up providing a lot of direct care, right? They're in the classroom subbing because their teachers are sick or they're, you know, taking kids into the office who need a break from the classroom or, you know, there are just so many ways that um, directors are providing direct care. And so they're wondering, like, why, why am I not getting the supplement or can I get the supplement? And so I was hoping you could speak to, you know, how they play into this system. Yeah. And I think, I think that goes back to the new, um, the new rules that have been put in place. Um, you know, there may be a center director and they've been on the administrative lattice because that's what they picked when they first got on. I mean, I think that's what it comes down to. Um, and now it's, you know, and I'm sure too with COVID, their roles have changed and they are in the classroom a lot more. And um, so they are providing a lot more direct care. And so just because they say they're the director, they don't necessarily become eligible. They still have to follow those, um, the rules, the position, the responsibility and the direct care lattice. Um, in in order to prove that eligibility to the system so that we can pay them out. Um, and I think that's the, you know, I, I do know that there's people are, you know, very confused by that. Well, I was getting it before. Why am I not getting it now? Nothing has changed. Well, the rules changed and the rules are more clarifying. And that's that's the change. And they just they need to they sit back and about themselves, if it's about them or about their staff. What is their role in our organization? Are they a direct child care provider? And if so, then they need to update the the registry to reflect that. So if their title is director, um, but they also update the registry, so they're on the direct care lattice, um, as well as perhaps another lattice, 
would they qualify? Yes. Okay. Great. Yep. It's it's really just it's about just meeting those rules, those eligibility rules. Um, section two. Um, it's what's the the second most quoted section um, when I go to providers with the rules, section two and section four. <laughs> but yeah, section two is the eligibility rules for staff. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know if director was like one of those titles. In it the- is. Okay. It is. However, so agency director is not a title that is eligible because the way that, you know, we kind of look at it is, you know, an agency director of a really big agency, like say, um, I don't want to call out an, an agency, but some really big agency, um, that person's probably not providing direct childcare services to children. They're overseeing a huge agency, but a program director would be eligible. Yes. And so what, what we are trying to do is um, we do have an FAQ that went out um, and uh, we have been making um, some edits to it to, to really, again, keep adding clarification as we get questions that come in, um, which, you know, is great and helpful uh, to the field. Um, so those will be posted on our website. But also when it comes to questions about the registry, you know, we really want individuals to connect with Main Roads to Quality uh, Professional Development Network um, when it comes to those um, registry specific pieces um, that would go into the impact of if I change from this lattice to this lattice, what does that look like? And, you know, making, as we said, an individual and programs um, can make a program decision as they're going through those changes. But that, but that also where they're utilizing uh, the supports that are out there and main roads to quality is really for the career lattice aspect of it, the ones to really connect with individually. And we have all of that on our website. Great. I can add a link to that for in our podcast show notes. So if you're interested in that, check there. Um, and so it's on the OCFS website. It's also um, on our website at Maine AUIC. We have some resources there that you guys sent out. Um, so you can find it a lot of places if you're looking for it. Thank you. I feel like you've answered a lot of the questions that I've prepared just like without me asking, which is great. (laughs) Um, I guess a question that makes sense, like to follow up on what you were just saying, Crystal, is when do educators go to you guys at OCFS versus going to MRTQ for with a question? Sure. So sometimes that's difficult to answer. Sometimes it's both or one. Um, we try to do a really no wrongdoer approach. So if somebody contacts me and I say, oh, I'm going to hand you off to Diane because she's really the best person to answer that if, if it's m- more um, in the weeds than what, what I'm doing. The same thing with Diane. If you know she's working with a, a program individual or director, she might say, you know what, I can help you this far, but I'm going to connect you with um, MRTQ. Um, And so we do a lot of warm handoffs, a lot of, you know, hold on, I'm going to connect you. It could be through email communications. A lot of times we try to do that um, because as you're trying to work out some of these very um, complex questions, it's always good to have that trail to say, you know, where do I land, you know, and, and especially if you are a program that has multiple staff, um, it's another way to really have it at your fingertips. I know we try to send out a lot. So we always ask individuals to try to read through the resources, 
Diane also put out a great little short webinar about updating the portal and what that looks like. Um, and so, as I said, we continue to update it, um, our FAQ as questions come in. Um, and so that's also another helpful way, but it's really a no wrongdoer approach. But if it's really specific to the main roads to quality registry, um, they would be the ones to directly go to. If it's about the salary supplement and the portal, then they come to us um, here at OCFS. Um, I'd also like to say um, we've made updates to the portal to be more uh, friendly to programs. As we know, they're trying to track all this. It is new um, and where this is taxable income. Another question that comes up, we are still supplying the administrative cost to programs. Um, as we know, it does come at a cost to process the salary supplement. So that is still included. Um, we made updates to the portal to include not only the individual, it shows um, what level they're at and what their payment's at. Um, and so each month when the payment goes out, um, the individual in charge of the portal um, for the program will get an itemized email showing the individuals, the payment amount that individual should get, um, the total amount of uh, the payment they will receive, also, also the total amount of administrative costs. Those are really useful to keep for your tax time. Um, and so that is something very new to how the portal looks. So um, like basically a check is cut to the program and they have to distribute it. I, I'm not, I haven't received a supplement because I was working in a public school. <laughs> um, so I'm not familiar. So it doesn't go directly to the child care worker. It goes to the program. Right. That's the way it has to be set up is that it goes to the program because the way that the legislature was written is it's a program to help programs pay their staff livable wages. And so um, it, it, it also cuts down on the number of payments that we put out there, obviously, with a, almost 7,000 staff. That would be a lot of payments, whereas, you know, we cut it down to 1,500 programs. Um, and so, yeah, that's the way it goes is the, the program gets one check. It has everyone's supplement in it, and it has the 7.65% for administrative costs included right in it. It also may contain their $50 if they participated in the enrollment data collection project. Um, and so sometimes that's a payment question that I get. They don't understand what that $50 is. Uh, can you talk more about what that is and how people can get that $50? Yep. So um, we launched the enrollment data collection project in May of this year. Um, and basically, it's right in the salary supplement portal. Um, so a program logs in once a month. Um, and at the top part of the portal, um, there's just a section where they can input the number of infants, the number of toddlers, the number of preschoolers, and the number of school-age children that they are caring for at that time. And um, if they don't have any staffing changes, all they have to do is put that in or just verify that it hasn't changed and submit that data. Um, if they do have staffing changes at that point, then they would need to go into the bottom half of the portal and add or remove staff, update people's career lattice level. Um, but that's only if they have changes. They don't have to go in there. And the enrollment data collection takes, you know, a minute to go in and do um, so. Yeah, it sounds pretty easy <laughs> to me to get an extra $50 uh, for your program. Yeah. Um, and it's right in there anyways, and you probably have to go into the portal pretty regularly to update other stuff. So 
Yeah. Why not? Why not go in and do it? Right. So you've answered kind of all of the questions I have about what is the program? Where did it come from? What do people need to know about it, um, about the changes that have been made and, and whatnot? Um, is there anything else you guys want to share about the salary supplement system or the rulemaking process or anything related to it? I would say one, just a reminder, we are still going through the complete rulemaking process. So um, once uh, we get back um, that period, um, it should be the beginning of March, um, we would put out communications about going from the emergency rule to the regular rule. Um, it would also include during that time, the response to public comment, as I know a lot of individuals have responded, like, you know, we commented, um, um, during the public hearing, um, and that's when our responses would be included. As we said, we were trying to get this out certainly in December and before the holidays, um, and so the emergency rule was very important to put into effect, so that will follow. The other thing is, is we do understand that there were individuals who were not eligible during uh, the first month of December because of where they fell. Either they were still a level zero um, on the registry um, or they were not on the direct care lattice. Um, so certainly we understand that that's um, difficult for this month, um, but those um, that get in compliance with those pieces or make those changes um, the next month, uh, as long as everything's updated, um, including both the registry and the portal, um, they would be then eligible to receive the next payment. Um, it is a very uh, timed um, and authenticated program. Um, so we, we can't just, um, you know, these are the rules now. We can't just say, oh, I know you missed it. You know, we can go back. Unfortunately, that's not the way this works. Um, uh, we have audit processes in place for that exact reason. Um, so we understand, but we certainly are here to work through that to make sure that the next month's payment, um, we could support in getting what you need um, now for that. Um, and then certainly um, we are already receiving questions about, hey, you know, I want to move up that registry, le registry level now personally, um, which is exactly what this program is meant to do. Um, and certainly we would want all individuals interested in that to reach out because, again, um, there are so many pathways uh, to move up on the registry. Yeah, and I would just say to that too, Crystal, the providers can reach out to me if they have questions and I can hand them off to Holly who works in our office and she's the workforce navigator and um, she's there to, to help providers look at their registry and determine you know where they are and where they wanna go and help them to get there. Um, and I think we've talked about it a little, but a lot of it is they haven't submitted their paperwork, their their education to main roads. And I think if providers do that, um, they're going to see them jump up um, to a level, you know, they might be a one and they might just get their paperwork in. And they might be a three or a four. So it's it's important to, to look at that and to to utilize the registry um, to its fullest extent to benefit themselves. Um, so, um, yeah. I think that's it. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, there's so much I could go on forever, but. I would just also add, um, again, when I said, you know, this is a layered approach to our systems, this goes also into the program piece and their quality level. And certainly we um, went through our um, QRIS revision um, this past March um, and programs are moving through that. 
um, and knowing how the the workforce and where individuals are at impacts uh, the quality rating levels. So certainly also reach out. Amber Tarasi is our quality rating specialist. Um, and so if one, one individual in your program um, is increasing their professional development, it can have an overall impact on where you land on the um, QRIS. And so again, we would want programs to um, work with us, um, work with Main Roads to Quality, um, around their whole entire program's um, professional development plan as well. Right, and, and and speaking to that, Crystal, too, getting staff at the right position so that it doesn't, maybe doesn't affect their QRIS because they're not full-time staff. So, you know, really reach out, you know, between myself and Amber um, and Main Roads, and we can get staff um, eligible for the program, um, but so that it doesn't negatively impact their star rating for rising stars. Um, we really try and make these programs all work together for the same goal. Yeah, it's really wonderful to see how like these three different things that the main roads to quality registry, um, the salary supplement program, and what was the other? There was a third. Rising one. stars. Yes. And the quality rating system um, are coming together because when I started in the field, they were all very, I mean, there wasn't a salary supplement when I started in the field, but the other two pieces were very separate. And so it's really great to see how they're all working together now. So really, if you maintain your registry, like everything else uh, should just come, come pretty easily, um, it seems. So that's exciting for the field. It's very much is. And as you said um, to Diana, I, on this side, you know, having um, been in the field for many, many years as providers ourselves, um, seeing um, just how um, the field has grown and all the new programming and the support to the field, um, it's exciting times for us as well. Yeah, we're making big strides. Maine is really leading the way for a lot of early childhood policy. So it's exciting for sure. Yes, I believe Maine uh, may be the first state to actually have a fully funded state uh, salary um, system that we do. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for coming and chatting with me. And I hope this helps clear up any confusion um, for our listeners that they're having around the supplement program. Um, and if not, there are the resources in the show notes below and Diane's email. So you can, you can just uh, read those and reach out with any questions. Yeah. Thank you for having us. And certainly any questions um, that providers have. Um, I, I'm pretty attentive to my email. Um, so you can certainly reach out and I will um, answer your questions. Yes. Thank you so much for having us and happy holidays. Yeah. Have a great holiday. Happy holidays. Hey, thanks for listening. You've been listening to 123 All Ears on Me, a podcast that is produced by the Maine Association for the Education of Young Children, also known as Maine AEYC. To learn more about us, you can find us at maineaeyc.org. This podcast has been produced, edited, recorded, and hosted by me, Kaylina Mills. Until next time.